No, how are you guys doing this morning? Good for you. those of you who don't know who I am. I'm Daniel, one of the pastors on staff here, and I have the honor of speaking to you this weekend, and I, I take it very seriously, and I believe God's got a very, very special word, a life-changing word for you guys. So let's just dive right in. We're in a series called Non-Negotiable, and I believe there's two types of non-negotiables. I believe there's one that God speaks to us through the Bible, and that's a non-negotiable for us corporately. That's something that we can't negotiate in our faith. And then I believe there's a personal non-negotiable. So for instance, instance, if God was saying, hey, I want you to fast every Friday for the next year, that's your conviction, but it's not everybody else's conviction. And I believe that what God has put on my heart is a corporate non-negotiable for each person in this room. But before I tell you what the non-negotiable, let me give you a little bit of the background of the story. So the last time I spoke here, was at the end of June, and I talked about, I titled it, Calling Us to the Mountaintop, or Invitation to the Mountaintop. And the premise of it was that when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai, God called all of them to the top of the mountain, but they were like, no, 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 no. Moses, you go, whatever happens, we'll listen to you. We wanna stay down here. And the point was that God is calling us there and we have to get there. So I gave a few points on how to get there, but my last point, I said, it's the secret place. And I gave a five to 10 little mini message in the message about what the secret place was. I had an illustration with the cake. I don't know if you remember it, but you can stare at the cake, but you can't describe what the cake tastes like. So the whole point of the illustration was saying, you have to experience the secret place for yourself. And I felt really good about the message. I loved it. Uh, I felt like God really used me. And then about a week or two later, I was golfing or hanging out with my buddy. His name's Daniel Wood. And he's got like a Greek God body where I look at him and instantly feel insecure about myself. And he's like, Daniel, I loved your message. He was like, it was so good. It was so powerful. Oh, the illustration, man, you said it perfectly. And then I was looking in his eyes and because we're talking face to face and I could tell there was a hesitation almost. He was like, but I really wish that you could have talked a little bit more about the secret place. It was like, I, I, I know that for me, I'm desperate to get there. So I tried to explain it again, like I did in my message. And he's like, it's just not connecting. It's just not connecting. So then a week later, I was told I'm pe preaching in the non-negotiable series. And instantly the Lord was like, secret place, secret place, secret place. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's, it's an extremely hard message to talk about. I just did a five to 10 minute one and that's all I got. How am I gonna make that a 40 minute message in the secret place, secret place? And I was like, no, I got plenty of good messages that I could talk about. And then I came to the realization that I'm not preaching for what I want. I'm preaching from God's heart for what you need. So I said, okay. I'll do the secret place. I'm thinking, well, I gotta read books. I've gotta, I've, gotta, I've gotta listen to messages about it. I gotta get more information about it. And then God was like, yeah, Daniel, that's all in the flesh, but what I need you to do is get to the secret place. What I need you to do is to discover me more. And I was like, okay. So vacation comes around and I don't know about for you guys, but vacation for me, I feel so refreshed. God refills me. It's a place in the past where I've been able to just go and God speaks to me and I hear him. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. I'm going to Albuquerque. I was like, I'll do it tonight. We stop at Albuquerque. We're on our way to Scottsdale and I'm exhausted from driving. I'm like, I'll do it tomorrow morning, but Holly, I'll go fill up the car tonight so we can go after the secret place, after the quiet time in the morning. 
So I go fill up the car and it was like the most eerie scene. I, and I look back now, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But like a huge main road in downtown Albuquerque was closed. I go to a gas station to fill up. This, this lady goes to her car as fast as she can, puts like $2 of gas in and then just speeds off like 60 miles per hour in the gas station. And I'm like, what is going on right now? So I go back home or to the hotel room, turn on the news and they're like, there's protests in Albuquerque. And I was like, Phew. Well, I'm in a safe place. That, nothing's going to happen to me. So I wake up in the morning, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take the bags out so we can just leave right after the quiet time, right after the, the secret place. And, and I'm walking kind of like this and, and I see glass right next to my car. And I'm like thinking, some jerk was drinking whiskey last night and just slammed the bottle right next to my car. And I start looking a little closer and it's like, sh- like this really fine glass. It didn't look like normal glass and it was tinted. So I look up. And Holly and I had to rent a vehicle because apparently after you have three kids, a minivan isn't large enough. Yeah, so I, we had rented a Yukon XL and they busted our window open. They busted our window open. So I'm not gonna, I'm, to be honest with you, the first thing I checked to see if they stole was my golf clubs. And then it was the car seats. No, I'm just kidding. It was the car seats first because then our vacation would be done there. But the worst part is they broke it and didn't even take anything. So I checked the entire car, nothing was stolen. But that whole morning I had to start dealing with, okay, um, Hertz, do you have an extra car here in Albuquerque that we can switch out? And they're like, the largest we have is a Tahoe. And I'm like, you don't know my wife, sir. You don't understand. You know, I look back now, my dad actually used to call me the pack mule when we were kids. And it was because like I was complaining or doing something. I probably was like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Which by the way, I thought that was just in movies. And then I had a son and they're like, are we there yet? Almost there. Are we in Arizona? Nope, still in Colorado. Nope, still in Colorado. And just over and over and over again, okay? So um, they can't switch it out. I call the glass company and they're like, hey, can we replace this? I need to get on the road. They're like, yeah, we can do it by August 12th. It was August 3rd. I'm like, I'm not waiting in Albuquerque and missing my whole vacation. So we just put on cardboard and I was like, let's deal with it in Scottsdale. So we drove all the way down there. My son's like, daddy, my, my window's missing. I'm like, yes, it is missing. It's more than missing. It's gone. And, and so we get there and I'm like, okay, I'm really going to be able to pursue the secret place. I'm really going to be able to pursue the quiet place. And, and, and it just so happens that three-year-olds on vacation wake up at 4.30 and go to bed at 8 and you're just exhausted and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. I just want to hang out with my wife. And then it comes the end of vacation. And yes, I was having my quiet time, but I wasn't entering the secret place. And church, there's a huge difference between the quiet time and the secret place. Your quiet time is what propels you into the secret place. Listen to me when I say that. So I get home and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to preach in two weeks and I don't have anything. I don't have anything. So I'm like, dad, I'm freaking out. What do I do? He's like, go to the secret place. Don't get interrupted. I'm like, okay. So I'm there. I'm trying to get there. I'm in the quiet time. I'm in the quiet time. I'm like, where's Jesus? Why aren't you speaking to me? You asked me to talk about the secret place, but you're not speaking to me about your secrets. I don't want to preach out of my flesh. I want to preach out of the spirit. And I kept trying and trying and trying. And then Tuesday, this past Tuesday, we have teaching team in the morning. And they, we talk about the message of the coming week. And they're like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I don't feel good. It's like, I do not have much information. And I was like, comes that night, everyone's asleep. And I just am like, Lord, I will wait however long you want. Because I write my messages on Wednesday. And I'm desperate. I'm frustrated. I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. And then he spoke. 
And I promise you guys that this message was birthed out of the secret place. These are not my words. God is using me as a vessel to speak to you. And I promise you guys, after this message, if you understand that the secret place is a non-negotiable, it will change your life forever. It will not only change your life, it will change generations below you. So please hear what the Lord is speaking to you about today. So the first thing that I wanted to talk to you about that I felt like the Lord was like, you need, to, you need to hit this, is what is the secret place? The Christians today think the secret place is quiet time, but I want to describe to you what the secret place is uh, by the Bible and by a few people that I trust that, that really dive into the secret place, really dive into the prayer life. So the first person I asked was my wife. I said, Holly, what is the secret place to you? And she says, I go to a place uh, with my heart and my mind. It's a simple place. She walks into an infinite room. And I know these are vague descriptions, guys, but I guarantee, but let me just just get through this, okay? So I said, when was the first time you experienced the secret place? She said, I was at YWAM, which is Youth with a Mission. It's a missionary organization. And she was like, everybody was experiencing the Lord but me. And I was desperate. I was crying out to the Lord. Why are they experiencing you? But I'm not experiencing you. And she was pushing through. She was pushing through. She was pushing through. And then finally, she got a picture of a sunflower. And the Lord spoke to her and said, you are my sunflower and you are beautiful. And the other side of it, guys, she was dealing with insecurities at that time. And instantly they were lifted away. Instantly. I asked my sister, Amy, what's the secret place to you? She said, it's a sacrifice. Nothing can get in the way. Quiet time is what you do before that, and it propels you into the secret place. The secret place is when heaven touches earth. I asked my dad, and he said, the secret place is where the Lord of everything tells me his secrets. There's an author named Mark Sayers, who's uh, actually a pastor out in Australia as well. I'm reading a book right now by him called Reappearing Church, and he put it this way. Christianity is more than simply right belief. Right belief is key, but it is ultimately a faith of more dynamic personal relationship with the creator of the universe. We may know the right information, but not the transformation. The transformation is the secret place. So Tuesday night when I was in that relationship, I was in that intimacy with the Lord, I said, Lord, what is the secret place to you? What is the secret place to you? And I felt like he said this to me, church. The secret place is where I can fulfill my original purpose with you. The secret place is the Garden of Eden. You see, guys, it was our flesh, it was human nature that separated us from God. When we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it put a veil between God and us. And that's why people get so confused and they're like, why is God so angry in the Old Testament? He wasn't angry. God was perfect and we are imperfect and perfection and imperfection can't come together. So what he was doing is trying to make the people as perfect as possible so he could be in intimate relationship with him. The entire Old Testament is about him striving, saying, please stop making these stupid decisions. Follow me, listen to my voice, because what I'm trying to do is get you closer to me. And he had a plan the whole time. He sent Jesus, who was sinless and perfect, and took our place as sinners and broken in order for us to have intimacy with the Lord. And when Jesus died on the cross, we put the veil up, but God said, nope, and slashed the veil so we could be with him. So what the secret place is, it's intimacy with the Lord. It's relationship with the Lord. It's going to that place and saying, I love you, Jesus, 
So what does the Bible say about the secret place? In Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, it says this, And when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the corner of synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, let's listen here, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees, okay, I want to show you something here. It says, pray to your father who is unseen, right? Because he sees. I think Christians believe every single time you go to the secret place that you have to hear the voice of the Lord. And yes, that's where he speaks to you, but that doesn't mean he has to speak to you every single time. It doesn't matter, okay? That doesn't mean you don't go to the secret place because guess what? He sees. I think the way that you can tell the maturity of a relationship is that you're comfortable in silence with that person. Some of the most intimate moments in my life with my wife is where we can just sit on the couch and not talk. So why do we go there? Because God fills us. Instead of giving from our essence, we can give from our overflow because we're constantly pouring into people. And I'm not even talking about when it comes to Jesus, pouring into people about Jesus. You're constantly giving people things. You're constantly doing, saying yes to these things. And it's coming over, right? It's coming out. But if you're not being filled, you're empty. We go to the secret place because it's intimacy with the Lord. So let's finish the scripture what is done in secret and he will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you even ask it. I love that scripture because I think it shows the biggest difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is what can you do publicly? What are you doing on street corners? Are you going to temples are you doing these things and praying? See, Christianity isn't about what we can do. It was already done. So it's not about your works. It's through Jesus's grace that we're able to go to heaven. That's dealt with. So what Christianity is to everything else is that's dealt with. Stop doing it. You know, it's good at times, but if you want to get intimate with me, it says it right here, close the door and go alone. You have an invitation by the Lord. And I know it sounds like the how, but I actually believe he's describing the what. And when you're alone in a room and God is there, it's intimacy. Each one of us in this room has the invitation to say, okay, I will go alone. I won't babble and I'll close the door. So the what of the secret place is it's intimacy with the Lord. It's intimacy with the king of the universe. And guess what? The greatest part, the king of the universe, the Lord of Lords wants that intimacy with you. He wants it. Our original intent, the reason he made us was so we could be in relationship with him. Amen. So everything that he's done since Genesis to Revelation or close to Revelation, hopefully it's not Revelation yet, is to be in relationship with us. So the what is intimacy. It's the intimacy. The next one is why 
the secret place. Why do we go to the secret place? I wanna read you uh, Psalms 91 and verses, uh, verses one and two will be New King James Version and then the rest will be Living Translation just so you guys know. And it says, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust, okay? Why this is so uh, interesting is because it's one of the few times in the Bible where it actually specifically mentions the secret place and that's how we know the difference between a quiet time in a secret place. Okay, it's mentioned here. And in my studies of this uh, scripture and looking at concordances and stuff like that and commentaries of this exact chapter, most people believe that David was the actual author of it and, and they do believe he added to it, but it started with Moses. And I don't think it's a coincidence that two men uh, in the Old Testament that were maybe the closest to God out of the whole Old Testament, or at least up there top 10, I think they understood. Moses understood the secret. If I get to the secret place, I get these things, verses uh, three through 16. I'll read it to you in a second. And it passed it on to David and he understood. Okay, so this is what happens when we get to the secret place. For he rescues you from every trap and he protects you from the fatal plagues. He will shield you with his wings. They will be a shelter. His faithful promises are more armor. Now you don't need to be afraid of the dark anymore, nor fear the danger of the day, nor dread the plagues of darkness, nor dis, uh, dis, uh, disasters in the morning. Though a thousand fall at my side, though 10,000s are dying around me, the world will not touch me. I will see how the wicked are punished, but I will not share it, for Jehovah is my refuge. I choose the God above all gods to shelter me. How can the evil overtake me or, plague, or the plague come near me? for he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will be steady. They will steady you uh, with your hands to keep you from stumbling against the rocks on the trail. You can safely meet a lion or step on poisonous snakes. Yes, even trample them beneath your feet. For the Lord says, because he loves you, I will rescue him. I will make him great because he trusts in my name. When he calls on me, I will answer. I will be with him in trouble and rescue him and honor him. I will satisfy him with my full life and give him my salvation. We go to the secret place because God gives us shelter, refuge, and um, shelter, refuge, and fortress. The culmination of verses three through 16, that's what he's giving us. And I've talked to more people in this time and age with the political turmoil, with a, uh, a plague going on around us, that they read this scripture because it should give you confidence. If you're reaching that secret place, God is promising you these things. But don't go into it with an expectation of how you want it to look. Have an open heart of how God wants it to look. It's not always how we think it should be. When we abide in God and dwell in the secret place, we find shelter, refuge, and fortress. It is the secret place that we are most vulnerable with God and most deeply experiences intimate love. I have a story to tell. So some of you guys may know that uh, my wife and I uh, welcomed in a baby on April 14th, okay? Um, her name is Adeline and you know, she got pregnant in August, but lo and behold, uh, you know, the turn of the year, we have this plague that's going on, a pandemic that's going on and the date's getting closer. You know, I, I kept rationalizing myself. It, it'll, it'll be gone by April. It'll be gone by April. There's, there's no worries. And then comes March. I'm starting to freak out. I'm in my, like, the worst part is, guys, I never, I've never told Holly this story. The worst part was that I had to be strong on the outside, but inside I'm freaking out. 
saying, what if something happens to my baby? What if something happens to my wife? What if the baby ends up going to the NICU? I know two families in this church that had babies during this time and they had their babies in the NICU and I, I, it broke my heart and I prayed for them so much. And I was freaking out every night. I couldn't sleep because of this fear. And you know what fear really is? It's just the unknown. It's the unknown of the future and I'm freaking out. So I'm laboring in prayer and I'm worshiping and I'm trying to get the secret place and it's just trying to get frustrated. And then finally he speaks to me and he goes, text your dad. And I'm not kidding when I said he's stealing my sleep. It was 2.30 in the morning. Text your dad. I go, it's, it's so late. He said, text him. So I texted him, explained what's going on with me. And he texted me back. It was I don't want to say everything he said, because it's for me. But he said, you can do this, son. You can do this. Be strong for your family. Be strong for your family. And there's two things that I want to show you in this story. Is one, when you get to the secret place, God loves teaming up with you guys to bring peace to people. It is a team in that text, that simple text brought such peace. And I know if people had babies in this time, you know what I'm going through. You know what it was like. It was scary. And a simple text brought peace to my life. So why do we go to the secret place? Because God can bring peace to you. God can encourage you. God can fill you. God can protect you. God can do all these things that Psalms 91 is saying to us. We go to the secret place for those things. There's someone in here in this room that needs to hear that right now. I believe God is telling me that there's someone in the older generations that had tried to go to the secret place and it didn't work out. It didn't stop their faith with the Lord. They believed in him but I do believe that they stopped trying to get to the secret place. And God ordained that you would be here today to hear this. And what he is saying is try again. Try again. And hopefully with the clarity that I'm bringing that you don't have to hear the voice of the Lord every single your time you're in the secret place, but that you're just in his presence. Please hear me on this. There's someone in here that needs to hear that. So the why is we get all these things. The what is its intimacy. So let's talk about the how, how we get to the secret place. And this is probably where I spent uh, most of my time studying and doing these things because I wanted to make them as applicable as possible to you guys. I wanted to make it as easy as possible for you guys because as a pastor, I can tell you a hoorah message, but so often you're left with not the how, so you feel kind of left high and dry, Right? So I want to talk to you about how you get to the secret place. And the first one is you have to wait. You have to wait. And we live in a culture in a day and age where we have a microwave society where we want everything now. If our phones are two seconds slow, we throw it because we're mad. 
We want everything as fast as we can. And man alive, have I seen it from the older generation down. It almost gets worse and worse and worse and worse. But I promise you, if you wanna get to the secret place, you have to learn the art of waiting again. And specifically my generation and below. Where is the patience that we have? Where is the waiting? And waiting really is an art. It truly is an art. I wanna show you a scripture in Lamentations 3, verses 25 through 29. It goes this way. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. What Jeremiah is saying here is that he learns to wait when he's young. He learns to wait and grow that habit of waiting and listening to the Lord when they're in their teenage years. So teenagers and kids, listen to me right now. Learn to wait now because the older you get, the harder it will be to learn. Wait. You don't have to constantly have everything right off the bat. There's something beautiful about waiting for something, earning something. Wait. So then he says uh, that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put uh, his mouth to the dust. There may yet be hope. What Jeremiah is saying here, uh, you need to know the background of what's going on. His, his entire country is being taken over. The temple is being torn down. Israel and Jerusalem are nothing anymore. And he's crying out to God and he's saying, where are you? And he's waiting for God and saying, where are you? We are your people, where are you? Jeremiah was, is literally has the nickname as the weeping prophet. He cried out to the Lord because he was witnessing God's people being torn down, being captured, being killed. And he's crying out, waiting to the Lord. In the last part of that scripture, he's saying, but I'll wait in the silence, right? What he's saying is that no matter what, I will trust you. If you don't show up, I will trust you. I will not babble about what you should be doing. I will trust you. And the second part of it is that he's not going out and complaining to people about it. There's, there's, there's certain uh, standards that's going on in life right now. He's saying, whatever happens, I trust you and I will wait in silence for you. I will wait in silence for you. I have an illustration. So I think when it comes to the secret place, about 95% of the time, you have to wait. I think there's 5%, you know, it's God. He can come at any time, right? And I don't want to cap him. I don't want to put him in a small place because if, guess what? If you say this, okay, I'll go into, uh, I'll give you five minutes. I'll give you 10 minutes. I'll give you 30 minutes. Yes, I understand there's a schedule in every one of our lives and you can't make it to the secret place every single day, but you need to set out a time where you don't cap off God because when you cap off God, you cap off what he can do in your life, how he can use you in this world. So don't cap off God. But I'll talk about the easy, one of these easy times that the Holy Spirit, the secret place, just boom. I was going downstairs. It was like four in the morning or something like that. I was just getting a cup of water. And I was humming worship music. I know very pastoral of me, humming worship music, 4 a.m. I know that sounds, I don't always do that. Please don't judge me in that. And I was, I was humming worship music and all of a sudden I'm like almost to the, to the fridge and I just feel his presence. Boom. And I just started weeping. And I just got on the floor and I just started worshiping him at 4 a.m. in the morning and saying, you are so worthy. You are so good. 
See, the quiet time is where God listens to us. The secret place is where we listen to him. You're so worthy, Lord. So worthy. And then the example of waiting, the 95%, is the, this message. I had to wait weeks. I was on threat level midnight before I actually got the message of what I was going to speak. 95% of the time, you have to wait. And church, we have to learn the art of waiting again. Maybe that's deleting apps. Maybe that's putting down your phone. I don't know what it is for each of you, but we have to learn the art of waiting if we want to get to the secret place. So the first one is waiting on the how. The second is listening, listening to God. And I talked about this in my previous message quite a bit. This was the, the dinger that I was using. But, so I'll hit it quickly again. Uh, the, the voice of the Lord, I heard from Pastor Dan DeMay, he said this to me. Um, so he was preaching, he goes, the voice of the Lord sounds a lot like Dan DeMay does. Okay, and then he says, wait, the voice of the Lord sounds a lot like Daniel does. And then he said, the voice of the Lord sounds a lot like you guys. It's in your mind. Yes, God can speak out loud, but I've never heard the audible voice of God. So the way that he speaks to me is through here. And the way that you can decide whether it's God or your conscience is does it directly violate what the Bible says and does it bring life? And I know like some of you are like, Oh, so when I got convicted, that wasn't God? No, because conviction can bring life. Reproof can bring life. So it brings life and it doesn't contradict what the Bible is saying. I remember the first real time that I heard the voice of the Lord uh, and what he was telling me to do. I was at YWAM, that's actually where I met my, my wife. And we were gonna go back and we were gonna staff the DTS, which is kind of the school, what they do there. And it's like in Hawaii, I got like a really good looking girlfriend, a new girlfriend. So I'm super pumped. And all of a sudden I feel like the Lord said, Daniel, I want you to go home and start preparing to be a pastor. But Lord, it's Hawaii. Come on. And, and he's like, nope, I want you to go back. And guys, it was years before I actually became a pastor. Years. So I was waiting, right? But listening to the Lord. So part of listening to the Lord is being obedient to the Lord. See, we put our trust in the Lord, but he puts, our trust, he puts his trust in us. So when you hear from the Lord, you must react. You must be obedient. I remember this time I was, um, I was, we were living in an apartment complex and this guy was moving and I was driving away, going to the gym and the Lord said, go help him move. I'm like, okay. So I turned around, he went upstairs. I waited like five minutes, went to the gym. I'm in the gym and the Lord all of a sudden's like, oh, so you're only wait, willing to wait five minutes to be obedient to me? I'm in the gym like, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Lord. So God speaks to us so we can be obedient to him. We must listen. And then the last thing I wanna talk to you about, the how, is we must come to the end of ourselves. So what does it mean to come to the end of ourselves? If you're okay with never being in the secret place, then you aren't at the end of yourself. The greatest tool that the enemy can do in Western civilization is keep you as comfortable as possible. Because when you're comfortable, you don't need a God. When you're comfortable, your phone can be your God. When you're comfortable, you can be your God. 
And when you start to believe those things, oh, I haven't heard from the Lord. Oh, I haven't done these things. Guess what starts to happen? You start to say, maybe God doesn't exist. And what I would say to you is this, what's going on in Africa and Asia then? Why is the church booming right now? Why are they seeing the miraculous right now? Why are they seeing people being raised from the dead right now? And you know why? It's because they're at the end of their wits. They're at the end of their selves. They don't know if they're living tomorrow, so they say, Jesus, no matter what happens tomorrow, I want my last moments to be an intimate relationship with you. I'm at the end of myself. Whatever tomorrow holds, I want to be with you. Coming to the end of yourself is this. We say that we want change in the political turmoil, that we want change in racism, we want change in all these things, but we think we can do it. Coming to the end of yourself is realizing that it is not me that can do it, but it is the Lord that can do it. It is total surrender of yourself. You are realizing that it is not in your strength, but in God's strength. If you want change in these things, then why aren't we starting on our hands and our knees, praying out to the Lord at the end of ourselves? If we truly want change, then you have to be at the end of yourself. God doesn't want just a concern of what's happening. God wants a desperate man or woman in this room to pray out to him, to cry out to him and say, I want change. There's something going on in this day and age where I want change. He needs you guys. You are his partners. Please realize that if you want to make it to the secret place, you have to come to the end of yourself. It's absolutely essential. God is sick of men and women just being concerned about situations. God wants men and women that are desperate about situations. He wants men and women that are willing to sacrifice their time. They're willing to wait. They're willing to be obedient. And he wants men and women that are at the absolute end of themselves. And God isn't saying that you aren't supposed to have nice things, but are those nice things becoming God? I have a video that I want to show you. Have you guys ever heard of David Wilkerson? He's absolutely a phenomenal pastor. He's kind of on the same echelon as like the Billy Graham, like he was that age, that group, um, just amazing, amazing pastor. Um, and he preached out of New York, passed away a few years ago, but he has this message called a call to anguish. A call to anguish. And I, when I first heard it, I was a youth pastor and it so moved me that I still listen to this video a few times a year. It so moved me. And so I'll explain what anguish and coming to the end of yourself is after the video. But if you guys would please watch the screen, it'd be great. And I look at the whole religious scene today and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore.
Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish, deep pain, deep sorrow, agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, He would share His own anguish for what God saw happening to His church and to His people. And He would find a praying man and He would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? Now, folks, look at me. Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. But this was a praying man. And God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion, not just some great sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no, I broke down and I wept and I mourned. And I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish. No weeping. Not a word of prayer. It's all ruin. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all? That God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world. Um, just before I get into the purpose of this, um, I clearly he said some things that I don't think apply to Jubilee. I, I, I clearly think our worship is spirit-led. Um, but a call to anguish is a characteristic of coming to the end of yourself anguishing about things that are going on in your life, anguishing things that are going on around you. But the main point that I wanted to pick out of this is that he said Nehemiah wasn't a preaching man. Nehemiah was a career man. And I believe God wanted me to charge the career people in here that it's not just on the pastors, but it's on the career man and woman. Are you anguishing over the circumstances that are going on in our world right now? Because God desperately needs men and women, girls and boys, adults and kids to capture this. If we want change, then it starts here, church. It starts on your hands and knees. 
Every revival, every movement has started with a person that's on their hands and their knees, weeping out to the Lord. It wasn't a church. It may may have come into the church after it was started, but it starts with a man or a woman. And I believe God is charging you today to go and at least try it. If I can do one thing today, it would be to convince you to just try to go to the secret place. Just give it an effort. Don't cap off God. Just say, Lord, I'm going to wait in silence. What I do is when I'm in my basement, because our minds are scattered, we start going. So what I do is I say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because when I repeat myself, Jesus, guess what? I'm reminding my brain. I'm focusing on Jesus. I'm not focusing on what I need to get done that day or what I forgot to get done. I'm focusing on Jesus. And God is charging you. Church, we desperately, desperately need you. Come to the end of yourself. And I know this isn't a fun and go lucky message and it's not my type of messaging. That's why I didn't want to speak on it. But I know that this was birthed from the secret place because God wants you guys to hear this today. In John 10, it says that my sheep know my voice. And like I said, the Bible is God breathed, right? And when Jesus speaks in the Bible, in the New Testament, our hearts flutter, our hearts jump because that's the Lord that we worship. And he's speaking to you. And what he's saying is that my sheep know my voice. Just try, just see what can happen. And I believe God will change stuff that's going on in this world. It's trusting God, no matter what political party wins. It's trusting God, no matter what's happening with COVID-19. It's trusting God with social injustices. It's not about what you can do guys, but it's about how God can use you to do those things. Let's have no more concern. Let's be desperate for change. Let's be desperate. I have the honor of leading you guys in communion this weekend. So if you guys would grab your communion cups, and take out the little wafer. So when praying and asking God how he wanted me to do communion, I had three separate conversations, two or three separate conversations this week with people that were talking and they were worried that they were going to hell and they're like, what do I do? What can I do to make sure I go to heaven? And I, one was an email, one was a conversation. I just found it ironic and I felt led that, that God was saying this. Guys, there is nothing that you can do to go to heaven. It's all through Jesus and what he did for us. And what I was saying to this person, these people, that it's not through your works that you earn salvation, it's through Jesus' grace that you earn your salvation. Now that doesn't mean you get to flippantly live your life. That means you honor what he did and you live a holy and pleasing life to him. And in Matthew at the Last Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. 
He's handing out the bread to his disciples. And I could just imagine the disciples being like, what is he talking about? Bread is like in his body and the blood is a representation of him in a sacrifice. Like, what are you talking about? And lo and behold, a day later he was captured. So he does this. He gives them bread and he says, do this in remembrance of me. And I felt like the Lord wanted to remind you that he did everything. He did the whole sacrifice so he could have intimacy with you. And it's not through your works, but through your grace that you're saved. Would you join me in taking the bread? And then the same with the, with the, the cup of wine. He said, do this in remembrance as well. See, the body was a spiritual sacrifice, right? The blood was a physical sacrifice. He had to go through pain. He had to go through being punched, whipped, a crown of thorns on his head, spit on, humiliated, battered. But guess what? He did it because he so cared about you in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. He loves you and he was willing to do anything to restore that intimacy with you. Would you join me in taking the cup of wine? Would you guys close your eyes as I pray? Oh, what are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? You know, I felt like the Lord told me a long time ago. There was a time in my life where I was really struggling with getting to the secret place. And what he told me, what I felt like he was telling me, is Daniel, I want you to imagine that you're in the Holy of Holies, that you're in my chambers and you're hearing the angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So what I want you guys to do right now is to imagine you're in the Holy of Holies, that you're in the presence of the Father and the Son, and you hear the, the, the angel singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and is to come. Jesus, it's not imagination. That is the secret place. It is the Holy of Holies. So I lift up the men and women and the kids and any age group in here right now, Jesus, if they can learn to get to the secret place now, the possibilities are infinite. Lord, whether this message brings conviction or encouragement, Lord, I pray that your will would be done to each individual today. God, you're so good. Lord, we pray as we go to the secret place and we know that this was the original intention. This was our original intention. This is why we were created, was so we could be intimate with you, so we could know you. What are you doing here today, Lord? I charge the people in this room. I charge the people in this room and I pray that they would go Lord, that they would have no more concern, but Lord, that they would be desperate, that they would be at the end of themselves, Lord. That if they want change, let them go to the secret place and give them your secrets of what they need to do. Lord, it is a partnership and we are gladly your partners. You don't need us. We need you and yet you choose to use us. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for loving us so much that you would spend time with us, that you would want to be in intimacy with us. You are so good and we lift your name up and we thank you in the name of Jesus, amen.